0: Well good morning, thank you for being here today and worshiping the Lord with us and I hope that you got your Bible, if so would you open it up or turn it on to 2nd Timothy chapter 2, 2nd Timothy chapter 2, this summer we're going through the book of 2nd Timothy all the way through the book. In this summer series called "Last Days: Finding Hope in Difficult Times," I know that many of you, perhaps this past week, or if it wasn't you, maybe it was your children or your grandchildren. They they took off to school, they took off to college this past week, or they're getting ready to leave this week. I know Anderson University is starting this week, uh, and so some of you have wrestled and yes yesterday or or last week, or you're going to be wrestling this next week with this whole concept of sending off that child to college, to university. I remember when I went off to college, my last Sunday, I remember it very vividly, my last Sunday at Clifton View Baptist Church, I had, before I went off to college, see I had surrendered to preach uh, a month before my 18th birthday, and so for about five months I was a little preacher boy. Uh, at Clifton View Baptist Church, time to time I'd get to preach. And then in August of 1978, man that was a lifetime ago wasn't it? In August of 1978 I was leaving Clifton View Baptist Church, that was my last Sunday before I went off to Carson Newman College to prepare for ministry. Now I was the only one in that little church, we only ran about 45 I was the only one who had ever done anything like that, leaving to go off to prepare for ministry. And so my pastor wanted to kind of commemorate that occasion. And so I remember after church, he met me in the aisle uh, as I was getting ready to leave. He kind of stopped me in the aisle talking to me. And he presented me with this commentary on the book of Romans. C.W. Hedgecock gave me this commentary. And to show you that I have used it, it's just in pieces. Uh, but I'll never forget C.W. standing there giving me this commentary and if I remember correctly the other gentlemen that were there in the hall, in the aisle with me were Virgil Stutes, Guy Williams and my father being to my left C.W. being right here and when he gave me this commentary they talked about, you know, they're proud of me going away preparing for ministry and that was a big deal and uh, they gave me this commentary and he said, now Keith When you go away to school, don't you let them ruin your faith. When you go away to school, don't you let them convince you that the Bible is not the Word of God. Now that was a powerful warning for me because I had grown up in this little Baptist church, little white building, set on top of a hill, 45 people on Sunday. I had grown up in that church all my life and I had always believed that the Bible was the Word of God. And it never even occurred to me that there might be people who didn't share that belief. And so it was a good warning for me when they said, now when you go away, don't you let anybody uh, cause you to lose your faith or to cause you to no longer believe the Bible. Now that was 37 years ago. Times have changed in 37 years, haven't they? In this day and time, you no longer have to send your child away for them to hear something that you don't want them to hear. In this day and time, uh, you no longer have to send your child to a liberal university for someone to deny or question God's Word. You see, we now live in a day and time where tolerance and relativism are the, the words of the day. And whatever is true for you is true for you. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's true for me. That's... the the philosophy of the day, the idea of absolute truth, the idea that this book is absolute truth, is in the eyes of many people, archaic and unrealistic. And those people do not attend or teach at a liberal university anymore. They live in your neighborhood. They work with you. They go to school with your children. They're friends of yours perhaps. We live in a world that now takes its cues from culture rather than from Scripture. We live in a world where the words of men are viewed on the same level as the Word of God. Do you know what? That's really nothing new. The words of men have always competed with the Word of God. Even in the days of the Apostle Paul. Paul just 30 years after the life of Jesus, after just 30 years after he had walked on the earth, even in the days of Jesus, there was this tension, or, or I'm sorry, in the days of Paul, uh, there was this tension between what men said and what God said. Even in the days of Paul, 30 years after Jesus walked the earth, there was this struggle. Whose words matter most? Words of men. Well, the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a struggle for all of us. That that is a question we all have to wrestle with. Whose words matter most? Every Christian has to answer that question. And if you're going off to college or you're sending your children off to college and, and all of a sudden they're free to experience things they've never had the freedom to experience before, they're free to go wherever they want to go, they're free to do whatever they want to do, and mom and dad are not there with them, all of a sudden that becomes a very real question. Whose words matter most? when they have all kinds of invitations and opportunities and friends that are speaking into their ears, that question, whose words matter most, is a very powerful question. If you're newly married and you're starting a family and you, you got uh, these little kids or little babies or you're thinking about getting those, and all of a sudden you've got to wrestle with that question too, don't you? Because what are you going to tell your children about the Bible? What are you going to teach your children in this in this society where everything is relative and there is no moral absolutes, what are you going to tell your children? How are you going to live in front of them? And how are you going to teach your, by word and by example? What are you going to tell them about whose words matter most? If you're a business owner, get ready. Because if you want to, to conduct your business according to Christian principles... There will come a day, it's already happening in other places around the country, but there will come a day that if you're a business owner and you want to conduct your business according to Christian principles, you're going to have to wrestle with this question too. Whose words matter most? It's a big question. It's an important question. And it's a question we all have to ask and answer. And that is... The question, the issue that Paul speaks about in Second Timothy chapter 2. I hope you've got your Bibles ready now. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. What I want you to see today as we work through this text. Is that throughout this text there's a contrast between the words of men and the word of God. Now the interesting thing though is you will not see that phrase word of God. Nor will you see the phrase Scripture. Nor will you see the phrase "by" or the word Bible. Instead, Paul spoke about the word of truth. And, if he didn't use the word of truth, the other title was simply, the truth. For example, verse 15, he talks about correctly handling the word of truth. In verse 18, he talks about some have wandered away from the truth. In verse 25... He says, lead them to a knowledge of the truth. He doesn't talk about the Bible. He doesn't talk about Scripture. Those those words would have been fine. He he talks about the word of truth. There's something special about that to me. There's something important about that word truth. Let this sink in for just a moment. Truth is true whether society agrees with it or not. It's true. Truth is true... In every generation. Truth is true for every people group. Truth is true for every age group. Truth is true whether I like what it says or not. My opinion can never change truth. Listen, you can reject truth. You can resist truth. You can deny truth. But it's still true. And so in this situation, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he talks about the words of men, and he doesn't say the words of men versus the word of Scripture, or the words of men versus the Bible, or the words of men versus the Scripture. He says the words of men versus word of truth. So whose words matter most? The words of men or the word of truth? That's the question we're going to be looking at today. Now, here's what I'm going to do. We're just going to have a running commentary through the text. I'm just going to teach you a little bit today. We're going to kind of walk through the text together. I'm not going to give you an outline. But at the very end, I'm going to say, here's the one thing I want you to get. Here's the one thing I want you to remember. So let's work our way through the text so we can get to that one thing. Beginning in verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. Now, from that very sentence, we recognize that we're picking this up in the middle of the story, right? You don't usually start off something by saying, keep reminding them of these things. Because your first questions would be, keep reminding who? And what things? And so let me give you some context. Keep reminding them, that would be the them would be the people that Timothy was the pastor of in the church at Ephesus. Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome, awaiting his execution. In his final letter, well, that we call Second Timothy, in his final letter, he's writing to Timothy about how to help him pastor the church, the people in his church in Ephesus. So them are the people in Ephesus that Timothy is pastoring. So keep reminding them, the people in your church in Ephesus, of these things. What are these things? These things would be the things that Paul has taught previously, specifically in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Keep reminding them of these things. Now, it's interesting to me that one of the things that Paul tells Timothy is, Timothy, you're going to have to tell them more than once. Now, if you're married, you understand this concept, don't you? Ladies, especially. Wives. Have, wives, come on. I want to get an amen from the women today. Women, wives, have you ever had to remind your husband more than once about something? My wife said it the loudest of everybody. Hey, why do you have, why do you have to tell your husband more than once? Because he forgets. Or... He's stubborn, selective hearing, that's right. He just flat out did not want to do it. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Yeah, he's getting nervous now, I can see y'all moving around. So Paul says, guess what Timothy, as you pastor people in Ephesus, as you tell them the truth of the Word of God, keep reminding them. Because they're going to have to hear it over and over and over. And I'll tell you another reason why. Because listen, we continually hear the lies of others. We continually, others are telling us the words of men. Others are continually Telling us that this is right when we say it's wrong. Or this is wrong when we say it's right. We continually have that message. We're bombarded with messages over and over and over from the words of men. So we have to keep reminding ourselves and reminding one another of the truth of the Word of God. Verse 14, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about, what's that next word? Quarreling about words. So, throughout the text, you're going to see this contrast between words, words of men, and the word of truth. So, words are in verse 14, words of men. He says, It is of no value, it only ruins those who listen. Verse 15, do your best. I think perhaps the King James says, Study. Uh, Other translations say, Be diligent. The idea, he's not talking about textbooks here. He's not talking about applying yourself to learn a textbook or anything like that. He's, he's talking about do your very best, be diligent, to present, work hard at it, to present yourself to God as one approved, one that he approves of, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, that word correctly, or that phrase, correctly handles, is an interesting phrase. It literally means in the original language to cut a straight line. So if, if you like to write notes in your Bible, that might be a good note to write in your Bible. Correctly handles means to cut. A straight line. Paul says, Timothy, I know you're a young pastor. I want to give you some advice. Do your best. Work hard at it to make sure you are correctly handling the word of truth. That you are cutting a straight line. The idea is you work at, watch this, you work at getting it straight and giving it straight. That's the task of every teacher, every BSF teacher, every Bible teacher, every pastor. That's our task, to get it straight and to give it straight. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know of a time in our country when we need that more than we need it today. We need men and women of God who will say, this is what the Word of God says, and we work hard in the private study to get it straight, and then we work even harder to give it straight. So he says be diligent, don't be lazy, be diligent. I, I, you've heard me say this a lot, but it's one of my favorite sayings. Somebody has to suffer for, for the sermon. You hear this? You ready? Somebody has to suffer for the sermon. Either the pastor does in the study or the people will in the pew. Thank you. So Timothy, be diligent, work hard at it, make sure you get it straight And give it straight. Because what you are giving is not the words of men. You are giving the word of truth. Verse 16. Avoid godless chatter. Now we're going back to the concept of the words of men. Verse 14, the words of men. Verse 15, the word of truth. Verse 16, the words of men. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. We've got to avoid godless chatter. That is, things that really have no eternal significance. You know, some people like to debate things simply because it makes them feel intellectually superior. And they've read the latest book on something and they want to talk to you about this. And and boy, they don't have any plan of living it. They just want to make sure that they feel superior. And so they're debating all these. It's just godless chatter. It's of no value, he says. Verse 17, their teaching, those who indulge in the words of men, godless chatter, their teaching will spread like gangrene. It's poisonous, it's like cancer, it will destroy. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. Interesting how he talks about these, these two men, he names them uh, Paul never hesitated to name people and we know one of them we don't know the second one the first one Paul has named in a previous letter Hymenaeus he has named in a in a previous letter and here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 20 in fact if you want to turn over there you'll you can read it for yourself 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 20 i tell you what, go in verse 19, the second half of verse 19. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Herminius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So Herminius is not a very good guy. Paul says, I've handed him over to Satan... And then this other guy, Philetus, we've never heard of him before. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But Paul mentions him here because he says his teaching is like gangrene. His teaching is simply, he's teaching the words of men. He's teaching the words of men and it's like gangrene. It's poison, it's spreading. And be, and because they're teaching the words of men, they have wandered away from the truth, if there are five words that could summarize what's happening in our country today, it would be these five words in verse 18, wandered away from the truth. I think that's a good description of the United States of America by and large. Wandered away from the truth. Even in the buckle of the Bible belt, we've seen in recent days how true those words still are. And then he says the second part of that verse. Not only have they, wandered, have they wandered away from the truth. Here's the danger of false teachers. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. They say it's the words of men. They say. What's it based on? It's based on what they say. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. And they destroy the faith of some. The words of men destroy the faith of many. And then verse 19. Nevertheless. In spite of the fact that there are false teachers, in spite of the fact that some are led astray, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Then he uses an illustration in verse 20, verse 20 and 21, very descriptive illustration. In a large house, and and as best as I can understand it, this large house he is referring to is the church. In a large house or in the church, not Mount Airy Baptist Church, but capital church, capital C church, the the body of Christ. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Now, I want to help you with this illustration. We'll try to put it more in current day terms because there's a powerful word right here. I bet for many of you, if I were to come to your house, you've got in your cabinet somewhere, hidden away, fine china and crystal. I'm not going to ask you who has that, but I bet lots of you do, don't you? I mean, you've got it. Now, now here's what I also know about it. If you've got that in your house, here's what I also know about it. You don't use it. In fact, men... I challenge you to go home today and eat your bologna sandwich on the fine china. No, don't do that, because I don't want to do marriage counseling. You don't use it because that's for, a, that's for people, that's not for you, right? This this is not for you. If you want something to eat, here's what you, you use the corningware. Or better yet, you use the paper plate, Right? I I, I love using paper plates. I don't have to worry about it. I I just, I'm done with it. So in every house, we have those things we use and things perhaps we don't use quite as much. And then there's another category. In some houses, we have things that Paul calls ignoble. We don't use that word very often, so let me show you what ignoble means. This way I can relate it to you is that when my... (coughs) When I was growing up as a child and as a teenager, my dad chewed tobacco. Red Man, I believe was the brand. And he would chew two or three packs a day. I mean, he constantly had a chew in his mouth. And now, let me get down here close because this is going to be gross. <laughs> um, when you're chewing tobacco in the yard, it's okay. You can just kind of spit it in the grass, right? But guys, when you're chewing tobacco and you're sitting in the recliner watching television, you got this big chew in your mouth, that tobacco juice has to go somewhere, right? And here's what you don't do. You don't say, honey, would you bring me one of those crystal glasses in here? You know, you're not going to do that, are you? You're going to have a spit cup. Now, for my dad, it was one of two things. It was either a styrofoam cup, Or it was a brass spittoon. Most nasty thing you have seen in your life. I made the mistake, I cannot remember, if it was the paper cup or if it was the spittoon. I made the mistake one time of walking by his chair and my foot hit the cup and knocked it over. It was full. And it was all over the floor. Yeah. And dad said, clean it up. (laughs) And I gagged, I gagged, and I cleaned it up. Now, you would never intend, you would never, if, if I were to say, here's my dad's spit cup, Rick, would you like a drink? No, that's what we call ignoble in the text. That's what we call dishonorable. In other words, this is something I have no intention of using in this form, in this fashion. Paul says in every church, or in the church, capital C, in the church, there are different kinds of vessels. There are those that are gold and silver, that is, things that God plans to use. God's going to use that. That's why it's valuable. It's gold and silver. God plans to use it. But then there are also ignoble vessels, dishonorable vessels, spit cups. That God has no intention of using. That's what what he means by there are vessels that are wood and clay. Because I can't even tell you what they use the clay pot for. It's worse than the spit cup. So Paul says, in the church, there are false teachers and there are true teachers. There are those who are teaching the word of truth and there are those who are teaching the word of men. Now look at the text with me. Um, Verse 20 and 21. In a large house, in the church... There are articles not only of gold and silver, things that you would use and treasure and value, but also of wood and clay, things that you would not treasure or value. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. That is, they have a purpose, but you don't want to talk about it. Verse 21, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, from the ignoble things, He will be an instrument for noble purposes, made made holy, and I love this phrase, you might want to mark it in your Bible, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Who is useful to the master? Well, if you look at the entire context, the person that is useful to the master is the person who is leaning on and believing and teaching that The word of God is more important and has priority over the words of men. The one that God intends to use, watch this, the one that God intends to use are those men and women who believe this is the word of truth. And the one that God has no intention of using are those who believe that the words of men are just as important. So then he goes on in verse 22. He talks to Timothy. About his own life. Because everybody look at your pastor for a moment. It's one thing. It's one thing to get up and preach and say this is the word of truth. But Paul is saying in the next few verses, Timothy. If you're going to declare the word of truth. You've got to live it. You can't just be a pastor or preacher that that's just has this public ministry. But your private life is far different. And so he says this, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee and pursue. Now, uh, let me help you again with those phrases. Uh, This coming Friday night, High school football starts. How about that? Isn't that good? And then I think, what is it, next? the next Saturday? College football starts. And then sometime in the near future, uh, professional football, NFL starts. I'm telling you, life is about to get good. <laughs> now, here's what I want to challenge you to do. When you watch one of those games, doesn't matter what level it is, when you watch one of those games, I want you to watch for the wide receiver. If you're not sure who the wide receiver is, he's the guy on the end. He's going to run down the field, he's going to run a certain route, and they're going to throw the ball to him. I want you to watch what happens when he catches the ball. This does not happen until the ball is in his hands. But once he catches the ball down the field, once he runs and the ball is suddenly in his hands, all of a sudden he is doing two things simultaneously. Number one, he is fleeing from the defenders that are trying to get him. And number two, he is pursuing the touchdown that is in front of him. At the same time, he's doing two things. Fleeing those who are trying to tackle him, pursuing the goal line to score a touchdown. He's doing both things at the same time. He's fleeing with a purpose. He's fleeing the defenders to score the touchdown. Paul said to Timothy, listen, as you are a preacher and a teacher, it's, it's one thing to say, I believe this is the word of truth, but you also have to live that lifestyle as well. And so that means you have to be fleeing the evil desires of youth. And as you're fleeing, it's not enough just to flee. Not enough just to get away from something. You don't just flee, but at the same time, simultaneously, you're also pursuing something he said you are also pursuing righteousness faith love and peace and you don't do it on your own you don't do it by yourself you do it along with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart then he says i'm gonna have to hurry then he says verse 23 don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments we're back to the words of men again there's this constant comparison throughout the text so now we're back talking about the words of men. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. You must not get called up in the words of men. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge... Of what? Of the truth. Timothy, this is your job assignment. This is your job description. When you find those, as you're talking about the word of truth, there will be those who oppose that. There will be those who who believe more in the words of men than they believe in the word of truth. And as you find yourself in conflict with those who, who believe more in the words of men rather than the word of truth, Gently instruct them with the purpose of turning them back. With the purpose that God might grant them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. You see, ladies and gentlemen, people will not be set free with a debate on words. They will only be set free by the word of truth. Here's what he says, leading them to a knowledge of the word of truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Uh, Timothy, there will be some who get caught up in the words of men. Satan will take them captive to do his will. And the only way to combat that, this is spiritual warfare, the only way to combat that is to come at it with the word of truth. So, here's my application. Here's that one thing I want you to get. Here's the one thing I want you to write down. Here's the one thing I want you to remember this week. Here's what I want you to try to put into practice in your life. Our lives become useful to God when we decide His words matter most. Our lives become useful to God when we decide His words matter most. And so this week when you're uh, on that college campus and you have temptations that you haven't had before. You need to say these words. His words matter most. This week when you're at work and, and you're pressured to maybe compromise your standards or your integrity in order to make the sale. Remind yourself, His words matter most. This week when you're confronted with somebody else's alternate lifestyle and they're condemning you because uh, you believe in biblical pr- principles, rather than try to cower to them or give in to them, don't be obnoxious about it, but just be gracious and remember in your spirit, His words matter most. This week when you have opportunities to stand for the truth in a gracious and loving way, remind yourself His words matter most. We are always in conflict between the words of men and the word of truth. Our lives become useful to God when we decide His word matters most because because it is truth. It's not men's opinion. It is truth. And truth Never changes. Amen. Let me pray with you about that. <clears throat> Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Is your life useful to God? Or are you getting called up, perhaps, in the debates? In society and the pressures of culture. Are you getting tied up in the words of men? Have you been reading books or watching uh, something online? Or reading blogs and all of a sudden the words of men are taking more of a priority in your thinking? I want to remind you. I want to remind you that that is the words of men never lead to life. I want to remind you that the word of truth is only it's the only thing that can set you free. The word of truth can guide your life. And so verse 15 is so important for all of us. Be diligent. Work hard at it. Study to show yourself approved. A person who rightly divides the word of truth. Work hard at getting it right. And saying it right. Father, I thank You for Your Word that in a time when there are so many voices of men out there, may we decide that Your words matter most. When people try to persuade us in a different direction, when they want to debate our personal beliefs, when they want to criticize or attack us for our faith, Help us, God, to be faithful to you, because we have settled and determined we will not give in to the words of mere men, but your words matter most. In Christ's name I pray, amen.